Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Doug Carrick. Doug, quite simply, is one of the most prominent modern golf course architects in Canada. He's designed dozens of new courses, and many of them are very, very highly regarded. But before we get going with Doug, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a giant supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad to have them on board, and we're glad that Doug was able to take some time to join us. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us. It's awesome to have you on the podcast. I believe you're only the second Canadian that we've had on the Tartan Talks. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is you're based in Ontario. For our listeners who haven't been there, how popular is golf in Canada and Ontario in particular? Well, first of all, let me thank you, Guy, for inviting me on uh, the podcast. Uh, it's an honor to be included. Um, yeah, uh, popularity of golf in Canada, well, we're kind of known as a nation of hockey players, but uh, golf is very popular in Canada. After all, the uh, hockey players have to have something to do in the summer, and you know, golf is a great outlet for them. Uh, well, for a lot of people, uh, they get to work on their slap shot in the summer. But, um, yeah, it's estimated that there are um, somewhere in the range of 6 million golfers in Canada, which I think represents about 15% of the population. From what I understand, we have one of the highest participation rates in the world. So, you know, golf is, golf is very popular in, uh, in Canada and in Ontario. We have a uh, hockey player in our golf league, and he's a fabulous golfer. I, I know you focus on golf courses, but have, have you thought about why the, the slap shot translates so well into the golf course, and do you design golf courses with that slap shot swing in mind? <laughs> well, you know, hockey players are great athletes. They have tremendous hand-eye coordination. They have strong hands and strong legs. So, um, you know, some of them uh, are actually very good golfers and and some are not so great uh, my brother's quite a good hockey player but uh you know never really developed into into a great golfer but uh there are certainly some that are that are great i think mario lemieux is uh is a great uh golfer dale talon's another uh hockey player that comes to mind um yeah so the two sports seem to marry quite well uh together and i think a lot of that has to do with their hand-eye coordination and athletic ability. Ontario is the only place I've been where when you're driving on the highway, they let you know what golf courses are at each exit. Just how competitive is the golf market in Canada? Give us a sense of just how many courses there are in the greater Toronto area and, and how have you been able to uh, establish such a successful business in that market? Yeah, well, the golf business is, is very competitive in Ontario, um, I think there are more than 800 courses in the province and in the greater Toronto area. There's probably in the range of 250 golf courses. So there's, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for uh, for golf architects, um, you know, to find work at, at some of the existing golf courses. Um, and the housing market and development industry is is very strong in the uh, greater Toronto area, which you know has created a lot of demand for high-end golf facilities and even some golf communities over the years. So it's you know it's been a tremendous um, 
base for me to, you know, establish a business um, here in Canada. Yeah, it's been very, very good. What type of effort did it take to establish that business? Just take our listeners through the, the, the history of what you've been able to do. Well, you know, establishing uh, any business takes a lot of uh, perseverance. And, you know, you probably need a little bit of luck and good opportunities that uh, that come along. You, you know, you have to, um, you know, do your best to, uh, you know, to prove yourself. And that's certainly true in, you know, the golf course architecture business. It's, uh, you know, it's a challenge to establish a name and, you know, find someone that has some trust in, in your abilities, you know, to give you that first chance. So, you know, that, that takes a bit of time and perseverance, uh, you know, to, to get started in, in this business. And, you know, I was lucky enough to to have a... You know, a great uh, mentor early in my career that, uh, you know, introduced me to some of his clients and helped me get established in the business. Yeah, we were going to talk about him a little bit later, but let's get this out of, out of the way. What did uh, Robbie Robinson mean to your career? And for our listeners who have never heard the name, what did he mean to the, the golf business in Canada and elsewhere? Yeah, Robbie was, uh, you know, I met him uh, very early in my career, just, just out of school. Um you know, he was a tremendous mentor to me early in my career. As I say, he introduced me to many of his uh, longstanding clients. But, uh, you know, more importantly, he schooled me in the finer points of a good golf course architecture and, uh, you know, some of the design principles of Stanley Thompson, who he uh, worked with early in his career. And, uh, you know, when you're young and you want to make your mark in the business, you know, you tend to want to create challenging uh, golf courses and, uh, you know, to establish a reputation. But he always reminded me about creating an enjoyable golf experience for, you know, less skilled golfers. He kind of drilled that into my head early on in my career, and that was certainly one of the principles that uh, he learned from Stanley Thompson. So that was a tremendous help for me early in my career. Robbie was very well respected in in Canada. Um, you know, he established the the green section for the uh, Royal Canadian Golf Association. He was, um, you know, a very knowledgeable agronomist in addition to being a, a good golf course architect. You know, he was a very practical and pragmatic uh, architect. A lot of the courses that he designed and built, you know, were done for very economical budgets, uh, but he always produced uh, good golf courses. What did you learn about turf grass management and turf grass selection from Robbie Robinson? He was an expert uh, in, in that uh, part of the field. Uh, he studied at the University of Guelph, um, you know, before embarking on his career with Stanley Thompson. So he had a, you know, a very good understanding and basis of uh, agronomy and turf management but you know a lot of the things I learned from Robbie were um, you know sort of practical things like you know considering uh, you know the challenges of the golf superintendent and how they have to maintain the golf course and you know looking at traffic flow and patterns exit uh, and entry points on the tees and greens and you know those sort of things um, 
I learned from Robbie. I also, as a young uh, kid, I worked on maintenance crews at uh, at golf courses. So, you know, it gave me a pretty good practical understanding of what's involved in, you know, maintaining a golf course and some of the challenges that, uh, that superintendents face on a on a daily basis. You're from the same golf course architecture tree as Stanley. Thompson, in fact, you know, there was only one generation that separates you from him. What does that name mean to golf in North America? Well, you know, Stanley Thompson is revered throughout Canada. He's really uh, considered the uh, father or patriarch of golf architecture in Canada. He, uh, you know, he built so many tremendous golf courses across Canada that are still, you know, highly ranked. Um, they've stood the test of time. Um, you know, so he's, he's really appreciated in Canada. I'm not sure that he gets the same uh, level of recognition in, in the U.S. or other parts of the world. And, um, you know, this could be because most of his greatest works are in Canada. But in my opinion, his work is really, truly outstanding and, you know, is on the same level as some of the work produced by Alistair McKenzie or Donald Ross or Tillinghast. And all of his courses... Um, have that fine balance of being able to challenge the, the most highly skilled golfers, but are also fun to play for golfers of average ability. And that, that was one of his uh, design principles that, um, you know, he tried to achieve on every project. And um, his golf courses are also very, very distinctive in their artistic appeal. Um, you know, you can often walk on a Stanley Thompson design golf course and, uh, you know, recognize it as, as one of his courses. Uh, you can remember every hole on most of his courses after, you know, only playing one round. And I, I think that was a, a tremendous skill uh, that he had for creating that uh, unique character on each hole. You know, the bunkering at his courses in Jasper and Banff in the uh, Canadian Rockies, I think is some of the best bunkering I've seen anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, his routing at Capilano Golf Club in uh, West Vancouver, I think is, you know, one of his masterpieces. Uh, you know, it's a course that's built on a mountainside. It has more than 300 feet of elevation change, and yet um, most of the members walk the course, which, uh, which I think was a brilliant achievement. Yeah, a full disclaimer here, one of uh, Golf Course Industries' home courses is Sleepy Hollow in Brexville, Ohio, which is operated by the Cleveland Metro Parks, and that's a, one of the few Stanley Thompson designs in the United States. And every time we go there, we just have a blast. And, you know, as somebody that's in the profession, Doug, I mean, how tough is it to make something last over generations, like people like Stanley Thompson and Robbie Robinson did before you, and and have you thought about that when you designed how, how your work's going to play in 80, 90, 100 years? Well, sure, you give out some consideration for sure, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, try and design a course that, that will stand the test of time, and, you know, I think by adhering to some of those principles that the, you know, the gold mage architects had in terms of, you know, making golf courses, uh, accommodating to, you know, the different skill levels of of golfers and, you know, creating courses that that fit the landscape, that fit the environment uh, that they're built in. 
Um, you know, those are some of the qualities I think that that create a course that uh, that will stand the test of time. But um, you know, it's a challenge, especially with the way equipment has evolved and the way you know some of the elite players have um, have evolved and improved their skill and how far they hit the ball and. You know, that, that creates a challenge for the architect to, uh, you know, create courses that uh, that will stand up over many, many, many years. What would you ask Stanley Thompson if he were around today and you had a chance to meet him? Good question. I, I would, you know, probably ask him how he, how he feels about other architects uh, doing work on his courses and... Uh, you know, make, making revisions or changes uh, to to some of his work. Um, you know, I think that that he himself would have um, embraced the opportunity to go back to some of his golf courses and make changes. In fact, I'm sure he did that to a certain degree over his career. To uh, you know, to go back and improve his his golf courses. But it'd be interesting to hear his perspective about. Uh, about the game of golf today and, you know, what things he would do to uh, to respond to, you know, some of the changes in equipment and how far the ball's being hit and, you know, how he would approach, um, you know, keeping his golf courses uh, current. Have you had a chance to go back and work on some of the early golf courses you've designed and how do you handle those type of projects? I have, um, you know, we're, we're in fact we're doing some uh, remodeling work on a couple of courses that I built. Uh, you know, one in the mid '90s and one in the early 2000s, and uh, you know, I guess that's probably evidence that I've maybe been in the business too long. <laughs> you start to go back and do renovation work on your own designs, but you know, it's something that that I embrace. Um, you know, it's great to have a mulligan and go back and make some improvements and, uh, you know, address some things that, that maybe you thought at the time were were uh, good features. But, you know, after some hindsight and looking at it, uh, you know, there are things that you can always uh, correct or make improvements on. So, so it's fun to go back and and, uh, and have a chance to, to renovate, uh, you know, some of my own work. We're, we're doing some bunker renovation at a course called Eagle's Nest, just uh, north of Toronto. And um, we've also been working on a project I did in Austria back in the mid-90s where we actually did some pretty significant um, rooting changes to accommodate some future uh, residential development uh, within the golf course. And I think, you know, it's provided an opportunity to really improve um, the golf course and add some length and, you know, make the flow work a little bit better. So, you know, those, those are interesting uh, and fun opportunities as an architect. Your work is very highly regarded by everybody in Canada, from uh, the golfers to the people that own golf courses to the people that rank golf courses. And somehow we've never asked this question on Tartan Talk, so I'm going to put you on the spot. What rankings and accolades mean to a, a golf course architect? Well, that's an interesting subject. You know, uh, golf course rankings are, uh, you know, a very subjective subject. Uh, I think you can get, you know, many varying opinions about golf courses, probably as many as 
as there are golf courses in the world. But I, I have to say, overall, I think they've been great for golf course architects. You know, they bring attention to our profession. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have some courses that are uh, highly graded on on a list of so-called best courses, uh, you know, it brings some uh, name recognition and, you know, what a great marketing benefit to uh, to architects, you know, when you show up on a on a list of um, you know the highest ranked uh, golf courses in a particular area, um, it's free marketing. You know, it's uh, you know it's been very good, I think, for our business and for many architects. But you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword too. Um, you know, if you get a bad review or a bad write-up on a golf course, uh, you know, sometimes that's a little. Uh, a little hard to take, but you know. And thinking about it, uh, sometimes you need some of that, um, you know, critical review to, you know, to make improvements to your own work. You know, point out some weaknesses, and you know, it makes you think about certain aspects that you can can improve for the next project to do. You had tremendous success fairly early in your career. I've always wondered this. What's harder in an industry like the golf industry, establishing yourself or sustaining the success and doing better once once you have that success? Well, I think both, both are very challenging. But, you know, I guess I'd have to say that establishing yourself early in, in the career is probably a little bit tougher. You, you know, you need that first opportunity uh, to prove yourself. And, uh, you know, I think that requires some luck and, you know, making the right contacts or getting that that opportunity. Um, You know, so you need a lot of perseverance. Um, You know, you need to find a a good client. Um, It helps when you have a good site, you know, to get that first project uh, out there and established and recognized. Um, But, you know... um, Sustaining, you know, the success over a longer period of time is is a challenge as well. Um, you know, especially uh, when the market softens like it did after the credit crisis in 2008. You know, it's tough to secure new commissions or fewer opportunities and, and more competition for work. So, you know, that presents challenges for, for golf architects as well. So... Um, you know, both are challenging, but, you know, getting established early is, is probably the tougher of the two. How do you shift that mindset you know, around 2008 where you're doing lots of new courses and then that dries up fairly quickly and suddenly how, how do you change your business and shift, shift the model and what type of renovation work have you done over the last 10 to 15 years? Well, I think like many golf architecture firms, um, you know, I have to downsize a little as uh, as the new work uh, started to dry up. Um, you know, so we had to become a little bit more streamlined. And, you know, fortunately, golf course renovation has, has always been a fairly strong component of my business. Uh, you know, and I probably have to thank Robbie Robinson for that. As I mentioned earlier, he, you know, he introduced me to a lot of his clients uh, early in my career and you know, many of those clients have been quite loyal to my firm. You know, there are some clubs we've worked with 
for more than 25 or 30 years. So, um, you know, so that's helped to provide a, you know, a fairly steady uh, workload for us in terms of renovation. Um, you know, and they vary from year to year. Some some projects uh, are very modest. It might be the renovation of a few tees or, um, you know, renovation of the green or a few bunkers, you know, the full-scale sort of master plan projects that you might do over a number of years or, you know, reconstruction uh, projects. So, you know, it's a real variety of, of uh, you know, scope of work that you get involved in. Uh, from time to time in renovation work. One of the recent trends that that we're starting to see is golf courses that um, are looking for development opportunities to, you know, create some uh, real estate or residential development and require a bit of redesign or reconfiguration of the golf course, which is uh, which is an interesting process to uh, to get involved in as well. Yeah, what type of land pressure is there in the greater Toronto area right now, and how is that affecting the golf industry? Well, the demand for new housing and development sites in the greater Toronto area is, has grown enormously over the years and has really driven up land costs uh, in the greater Toronto area. And, you know, I think in some cases that it, it almost doesn't make economic sense to, to build a new golf course in the uh, in the greater Toronto area, uh, unless it's, you know, land that's deemed undevelopable uh, for housing or commercial use. In fact, there have been a few golf courses in the uh, in the GTA that have sold for exorbitant uh, prices. Uh, there was one that sold maybe 10 years ago for over $400 million and uh, has doubled in value since that time. So, there's an extreme amount of pressure on uh, finding development sites, and you know some developers are targeting golf courses as uh, potential uh, development sites. So, um, you know that that makes it a little more challenging to to find good properties that uh, can be developed economically. Environmentally, what are some of the demands on golf courses in Ontario and the greater Toronto area in particular, and how do how some of the environmental concerns of, affect your design decisions? Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you want. That's the great thing, great thing about podcasts. It's not live radio. You know, it's a very complex uh, process getting a, getting a project, a new project in particular, approved. Uh, you know, and this, this is sort of uh, increased over over the years, you know, the, the scrutiny that uh, is given to new development projects and, and the development of new golf courses uh, has increased uh, over the time. It involves the expertise of so many different experts from environmental consultants and engineers and, uh, you know, to really uh, help you you know, steer through the approval process and answer, you know, the many questions in regard to uh, sensitive environments, um, you know, issues like especially the use of water for irrigation, um, you know, groundwater issues related to the use of fertilizers and pesticides and 
course management and how that's handled and various habitats for animals and birds and, uh, you know, different um, landscape communities and, and those sort of issues make the process quite a bit more challenging and complicated. And, you know, it involves a lot of compromise through the process to, uh, to address issues that arise uh, during the planning process. And, you know, you often have to make some pretty significant changes to, you know, what you might feel is the ideal uh, configuration or layout of the golf course. So, you know, those are some of the issues that, that every architect deals with uh, in, in most locations. How diverse is the land in Ontario? And just kind of describe the um, different types of courses and projects you've done just in that one province. Well, Ontario is fairly diverse. You know, there are um, certain properties in southern Ontario that I would say are ideally suited uh, to development of golf courses. They're, you know, gently rolling topography with, you know, fairly good soil uh, structure. You know, a lot of these would be agricultural sites. Um, And then you have some areas that are that are quite flat and don't have any really distinctive uh, landscape features. So, you know, on properties like that, you have to use your creativity a little more to create that interest uh, for the golf course. And then as you move a little bit further north out of the greater Toronto area, you get into the Canadian Shield, which is a lot more rugged, um, you know, a lot more bedrock and uh, heavily forested areas or a lot of wetland, um, you know, to deal with. And, you know, those things are a little more challenging technically, but also they, you know, they add a lot of character and interest, uh, you know, to the golf courses in those locations. So so there's tremendous variety in Ontario. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun to work on, on different uh, types of landscapes. You mentioned you started working uh, golf course maintenance at a fairly young age. Uh, where did you do that, and what were those experiences like? Well, I started very early, uh, you know, during my teenage years at a course called Uplands, just north of Toronto, an old Stanley Thompson uh, golf course, and uh, which I was a, a junior member of. And but I also worked in the summers on the maintenance crew. Uh, you know, I remember doing some uh, night watering. Uh, on the golf course, uh, it was an old uh, turf valve system, single row, where you had to go out and crank the sprinkler heads in and change them uh, from uh, time to time or you know, every hour. So it wasn't a very sophisticated system, but that was that was interesting. And you know, I did everything from you know mowing rough to raking bunkers and you know, cutting greens and fairways and. Also did uh, some work at uh, Summit Golf Club, where I was also a member, and I'm still a member today. So, yeah, that was a great uh, background for me as as an architect to uh, understand, you know, the maintenance requirements of a golf course. What have your relationships with superintendents been like uh, over the course of your career, and what have you learned from them on various projects? You know, I think I relate well to superintendents because... You know, I worked on golf course maintenance crews, and, uh, you know, I have some understanding of the challenges they face on a daily basis. 
Uh, but I also have a great deal of respect and admiration for their skill and their work ethic. Uh, you know, they tend to be people that work extremely hard. Um, you know, they're very dedicated to their profession. Uh, I'm always amazed at, you know, how, how they deal with growing in a new golf course and, you know, some of the challenges of doing that when you, you know, you've got something seated and finished and it looks great and then you've got a thunderstorm that rips through and destroys everything and you have to put it back together and, you know, that may happen multiple times and, you know, they, they most of these guys have incredible patience and perseverance and they push through and in the end produce a great product and in many cases they uh, create a, a golf course that... Uh, exceeds your own expectations so um you know it's just great to work with with superintendents on uh, on golf courses and and to get their input and hear how they would approach maintenance and you know to discuss all those issues with them and understand how you can uh, accommodate some of their concerns in the design or how you can make your designs better from a maintenance aspect a golf course construction project is interesting in the fact that you spend so much time with the people on site and the different club chairs and the superintendents and people that work with the superintendent and the contractor. And then it sort of ends. What are the relationships like once a project's done and what type of lines of communication do you keep open with the superintendent and other key people on that project once, once you've completed it? Well, that, that can vary. Uh, from project to project, you know, some of it depends on where, you know, a project is, is located in relation to where, to where you live. Uh, you know, some are just a little more challenging to get to on a regular basis. And, you know, a lot depends on how busy you are with other work. But, you know, I try and stay in touch with, with most of our uh, clients and, uh, and with most superintendents uh, that we've worked with. Um, on a regular basis. So, and sometimes, you know, you may lose touch for a few years and then reconnect um, several years later, especially if there's an issue that arises on, on the golf course that they want uh, want me to have a look at or, you know, if they want to make improvements to the golf course, we, uh, you know, we hope that they would contact us to, you know, give our opinion or input on, changes they might want to make so um you know i would like to have that uh ongoing connection with our clients and and uh in, with superintendents in particular who are some of the other golf course architects you've worked with over the course of your career and have you had a chance to, to mentor some young ones yeah i've worked with a few different uh architects on some collaborations um yeah, I guess the first one I did was in Austria with an architect named Hans Erhardt, uh, who is based in Austria, and uh, that was a that was a terrific experience. Uh, Hans was, um, you know, a very respected golf architect in Europe, and uh, yeah, it was fun to to get a different perspective. Most of the projects that he worked on were lower budget. Uh, projects and, and the one we did together, and that was an eye-opener. You know, he, he took me out to some of his projects. Um, one in particular I remember was in an alpine meadow, 
and uh, beautiful setting, but, you know, the amount of work that was done to build the golf course was quite modest, and it was, you know, it was done for a minimal budget. They basically built tees and greens and and cut the uh, some of the meadow grasses and established fairways that way, and a different approach and something that maybe wouldn't be highly regarded here in North America, but it was a fun experience playing the golf course, and you know the game was still fun even though the level of conditioning and maintenance wasn't you know comparable to what we're used to here in North America. But you know it was still a great experience. So to see that sort of different philosophy was uh, was an education uh, for me, and. I had the opportunity to work with Jay Morris on a project here uh, in Toronto. And, uh, yeah, that was a great experience seeing how Jay approached uh, designing a golf course. And, you know, you always learn things from other architects. And um, the other architect that we did, uh, we collaborated on a project together was Bob Cup, And uh, Bob was a very good friend. And again, you know, I learned a lot from Bob and seeing how he approached uh, design. And, you know, those are great opportunities uh, that I embraced. As far as mentoring other, you know, other architects, uh, you know, we, when we were busy, I had uh, three uh, design associates here in the office. Uh, so, you know, there was uh, opportunity to mentor all three, three of my associates uh, over the years. Speaking of overseas work, Doug, you have a course named after you in Scotland, the Carrick at Loch Lomond. How surreal was the designing and opening of a course that ultimately ended with your name on it? Wow. I mean, that was an unbelievable experience for me personally. Uh, You know, it was a tremendous honor to design a golf course uh, in Scotland, uh, considered to be the home of golf. you know, certainly one of the greatest highlights of my career. Uh, what what an opportunity! Uh, we had a beautiful site at Loch Lomond, um, and we had a, a great client to work with, uh, Devere Resorts. And um, yeah, it was just an unbelievable experience. It was the first golf course developed in a national park in Scotland. In fact, uh, that was Scotland's first uh, national park. Um, which was established a couple of years into the sort of early design and planning process, which, you know, presented a lot of challenges. But, um, you know, it was, it was an interesting opportunity to, you know, to, to prove that uh, a golf course could be integrated into a national park setting. And, um, you know, the other benefit of doing work in Scotland was having the opportunity to play so many of the the great lakes courses, uh, which was, you know, a tremendous education in itself, having the opportunity to, to get out and see some of the great courses in Scotland. You're extremely humble. What was your reaction when they told you they wanted to put your name on the golf course? Uh, sort of mixed. Uh, a mixed reaction. I mean, it was a, a tremendous honor to think that they wanted to 
attach my name to the golf course. Um, but I was a little bit concerned, you know, being a Canadian working in a foreign country with, you know, foreign or with, uh, you know, consultants that, that lived in Scotland and England, I was a little bit worried about what they would think <laughs> about, you know, having a golf course named after me when, you know, they were providing a tremendous amount of guidance and input into the project as well. So, um, you know, I was a little worried that uh, they might have thought I had some influence on that, but um, no, overall, it's, it's, it's been a, a tremendous honor to have uh, my name on the golf course. Uh, certainly something that was completely unexpected. And, um, you know, as time passes, uh, yeah, that's, that's an incredible honor. When you set out to do this in the early 1980s, did you ever envision having the impact on golf in Canada and elsewhere that you've had, and how surreal and amazing has this career journey been for you? Well, it's been an unbelievable journey, and, you know, early in my career, I had no expectations or clue of how, you know, my work might have an impact on golf in Canada. Um, I can remember... You know, when I was uh, in college and, you know, I told my my dad that I wanted to design golf courses, he thought I was crazy. He said, how many golf courses do you think they're going to build? And I had no idea. I said, well, I don't know, Dad, but uh, I know that's something that I want to try and do. I have a passion for it, and I want to give it a try. And uh, little did I know that, you know, I was very fortunate to... Uh, get into the business at a time when golf started to uh, to boom again, and uh, there were a lot of opportunities. So I feel very fortunate and lucky that uh, you know I had so many opportunities to uh, to design some new golf courses and to, you know work with some great clients and get some pretty incredible sites to work with. And yeah, the journey's been unbelievable, but uh, I had no idea that. It would be like that when I started out. When somebody gets done playing one of your golf courses, what's the greatest compliment that average golfer can give you? What do you want them coming away thinking? That they had a great experience, that they had fun playing the golf course. You know, that, that is probably the most satisfying accolade that, that um, a golf architect can get, is that people enjoy playing your golf course. Um, I remember uh, when we opened Predator Ridge out in British Columbia, um, there were some women that, that played and had their, their best score ever on the golf course. In fact, there was one woman that made a hole-in-one, I think, on the 11th hole. And uh, she was so excited about that. Yeah, that was just great to hear that um, from someone playing the course for the first time, you know, that type of feedback is, is great. You still have a lot of good years left in you. Uh, what's something you haven't done yet that you'd like to get an opportunity to do? Well, I've always wanted to design and build a, an Oceanside golf course. Um, 
preferably a true lynx, but, you know, there's not too many of those opportunities uh, to do that. I, I, in fact, I, I have done some motion side layouts. Um, probably the one that was my dream project was in Ireland many years ago. I uh, had a client that wanted to develop a, a lynx course uh, in Donegal on a beautiful Oceanside site, and um, I still have the drawing hanging on my wall in the office here, but unfortunately he passed away uh, before we got the project off the ground, but, um, you know, that would be something that, it, that I'd love to do, uh, to design an Oceanside golf course. A few last things here. Do you have a lot of pictures on your wall? Uh, do, you, do you try to give equal love to all the courses you've designed or have nearly designed? Yeah, my office is, is loaded with photographs and and uh, a few plans hanging on the wall. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's hard to display all of them. Uh, and I, you know, try not to give preference to uh, to one course over another. Uh, they're all like, kind of like children. You, you know, people often ask me if I have a favorite uh, golf course that I've designed and you know it's really hard to uh, to pick one over another um, you know sometimes you have a, a project that you know doesn't have any spectacular redeeming qualities in terms of the site but you know it's quite satisfying to take a flat piece of ground and turn it into an interesting golf course but it's also very satisfying to, you know, to be given a, a, a site that has tremendous character and, uh, you know, to produce a nice golf course out of it. So, um, yeah, I try and, you know, I get equal satisfaction out of every project that, uh, that I get involved in. Uh, last thing here, how, how often do you play golf courses that you designed and what do you think when you play one of your own designs? Oh, you know, I probably play a few rounds a year on, uh, you know, it might be a handful of rounds a year on some golf courses that I've designed. And, yeah, it's always it's always fun. You, you always uh, take a critical eye to, to things you've done and see things that you want to change or improve and, you know, sometimes suggest that to uh, to our clients or superintendents that, you know, it'd be nice to make a certain change here or there on the golf course. And, you know, sometimes we get that opportunity to do that. So it's, so it's nice uh, to get out and play at, uh, at some of the courses I've worked on over the years. Well, Doug, this was awesome. I mean, congrats on everything you've achieved. Best of luck here in 2021 and beyond. And, you know, we're just across Lake Erie in Northeast Ohio. Once, uh, once things get rolling again, we need to get across the border and, and experience some of your golf courses. So thanks for joining the podcast. Well, thank you again, Guy, for inviting me on. And, that, uh, yeah, it would be great to get around with you. Uh, you know, if you're up in this neck of the woods, uh, it would be great to take you out and, and play some golf with you. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you again for having me on.